Time once again for Second Helping, the first choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined as always by college football analyst Brent Beard, works with First Coast News down there in Jacksonville, Florida. Also, Brent, a longtime voter where the Heisman Trophy is concerned. We're getting close to that deadline. We'll talk about that and so much more with Brent. First of all, Brent, hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I did. I had a chance to spend it with the daughters in the Atlanta area. That went well. We uh, we enjoyed that very much. And, and you know, Trav, uh, you and I have done this for for a long time together, and, and we've said this for years the the week after the regular season ends, uh, for various reasons, uh, possibly could be the busiest week of the year. It really is, and it used to be that it was just the coaching carousel. Yeah, yeah. That Sunday, Monday after the completion of the regular season, and certainly there's a lot of news that we're going to get into in relation to Southeastern Conference teams as we move through our uh, week 13 recap here on second helping, but with the transfer portal now. Uh, so many guys jumping in. I don't think we'll have time to run them all down, but certainly we'll hit on some key entrants to the transfer portal here in the last 24 hours or so. And understand, we are recording this at mid-morning on Monday. So who knows? By the yeah, time we really? drop this podcast, Absolutely. by the time it drops in your podcast provider's uh, sort of timeline there. Who knows what else will happen? We'll do our best, though. We'll do our best to Absolutely. certainly keep you up to speed. What we're going to do is we're going to move through last Thursday, Friday, Saturday with that week 13 action as it relates to coaching news and transfer portal news. We'll touch on that in relation to these teams, but we'll go back to Thanksgiving night. I know we were both anticipating that Egg Bowl matchup with Ole Miss, a top 10 team looking to secure a 10th win. A group of, uh, excuse me, a New Year's Six Bowl date in all likelihood. And Lane Kiffin and his team does just exactly that, Brent, in a 31-21 road win over Mississippi State. In a game that I'm sure from the maroon and white perspective, you're bemoaning the missed opportunities, especially there in the first half of that loss. Boy, and the drop passes mm-hmm. in, the red, in the red zone uh, were just crushing for Mississippi State. Will Rogers, again, big numbers, 38 of 58, 336, um, had a touchdown pass to Jaden Wally. Uh, and I give Ole Miss a lot of credit, particularly on defense uh, with the game. They really uh, controlled State, unlike a lot of teams have. I mean, they still had 420 yards of total offense, but you and I both know, Trav, you can have a lot of yards in this day and age and still lose by uh, several touchdowns uh, in a game like this. But, but again, as you, as you said, right before halftime dropping, not one, not two, but three potential touchdown passes for Mississippi state, a certainly a, 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 this season ended as a disappointment, but, but I think overall, uh, and we'll touch on the game in just a quick note overall. Trev, I think they've got to be extremely pleased with what they've done uh, this season, that they've had a good year. They beat A&M, 
uh, and they were they're going to a bowl game uh, for a lot of people who thought state at the beginning of the year may not even win three to five games. Yeah, seven wins you figured was about the ceiling for the, this Mississippi State team. You think about the comeback, the historic comeback at Auburn. Uh, definitely some highlights. The continued development of Will Rogers as the guy behind center for a couple more years, uh, you would think, there at Mississippi State. Got to give Ole Miss a lot of credit, though. Matt yes. Corral, we saw more of the guy that we had seen previous to some injuries. Really sold it out, passed for 234, ran for 45 more. And I think what helps, and we talk about red zone issues, when you got a finisher like Snoop Connor, mm-hmm. a guy that can really get behind his pads and finish red zone opportunities in the end, end zone, that's where you have a little bit of an advantage over, say, an air raid approach, where it's more about getting plays in space and trying to produce in that regard. So I love Snoop Connor, loves, love the way he runs. Jerrion Ely had over 100 scrimmage yards to Ontario Drummond with 138 receiving yards. And it wasn't like Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy were reinventing the wheel offensively. They pretty much ran the football with Snoop Connor and Jerrion Ely and a little bit with Matt Corral. And then it was this swing pass that Dontario Drummond, sort of a swing screen out into the flat that Mississippi State defensively just struggled to get a grasp on. So as we said, Ole Miss looking New Year six-ish in its bowl destination. And now Mississippi State, wow, 13 bowl eligible teams for the SEC. We outlined that possibility (laughs) last week on the show, and it came to fruition. Um, I guess for Mississippi State, it's more mid-tier, probably not looking at a Florida bowl unless it would be Jacksonville. Um, Maybe more along the lines of Memphis would make sense. Uh, maybe Houston uh, or the Texas Bowl. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, I think that's pretty indicative of where they would go. Uh, and, and Trav, I, I, do, I also want to mention, along with the accolades for Ole Miss, DJ Durkin's defense, frankly, mm-hmm. this year, uh, major improvement. Rebels defense held nine of 12 opponents to 24 points or fewer. Uh, it, they Last year, they gave up nearly 40 points a game. This year it was 25, which is uh, dramatic improvement. And Trav, speaking of dramatic improvement, and you mentioned him throughout the year one more time, Sam Williams' improvement over the year in that Ole Miss defense was unbelievable. Yeah, Sam Williams was a game wrecker for Mississippi State, too. We don't want to make it sound like it was all Mississippi State miscues that helped Ole Miss to that win. They couldn't block Sam Williams. It didn't matter. If it was Scott Lashley at one tackle, Charles Cross, the projected first-round pick at the other tackle, had his issues at times. But mostly it was Williams on Scott Lashley and uh, just too much of a matchup, too much of a mismatch there for Mississippi State to overcome. Talk about great seasons. What about the Arkansas Razorbacks, Brent, on the heels of their eighth win of the season? This time over the Missouri Tigers last Friday in Fayetteville, uh, you wondered about Arkansas's bounce back after that four-quarter affair in Tuscaloosa on the road, but came out in pretty good shape. Tight game there through the first half, 10-6. Arkansas leads at the break, but then a 14-3 run uh, by Arkansas in the third quarter put the home team 
in pretty good shape. And we often talk about rubber stamp stat lines for players. You had a couple of those, uh, one for each team. I thought KJ Jefferson in terms of total offense between passing and running and also his efficiency in yards per attempt as a passer, along with Tyler Beatty from the Missouri perspective, 41 carries for Tyler Beatty in the game. Wow. And then, of course, Traylon Burks, what he seems to bring from a receiving perspective to that Arkansas offense on a weekly basis. Uh, and speaking of Burks, he broke the 100-yard mark, Travis, for the sixth time this season uh, one game short of tying the Arkansas career record of 100-yard receiving games. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, Arkansas, first eight-win regular season since 2011. Trev, I, I've, look, uh, uh, I've got to believe, and again, he may not win it, but uh, Sam Pittman's going to have a lot to say about who the SEC Coach of the Year is. I think he almost has to win it. You know, unless you just go with Kirby Smart, yeah, for a twelve and zero season, um, you know, maybe you look at uh, Josh Heupel a little bit, uh, but you know, Sam's got those eight wins, and he's also got those three trophies. Yes, that, uh, Arkansas covets when it comes to rivalry type matchups <laughs> uh, that that adorn the lobby, yeah, of the football building. By the way, but but I look now, we're not going to say he's going to have this kind of improvement every year. But, I mean, you basically go from what, Trav, three wins to eight wins. I mean, that that absolutely is almost unprecedented. Uh, and, and, frankly, uh, one could argue I'm not sure he's got his recruits that, that, that he all wants as far as, the, as far as roster management in there yet, but it's coming. Yeah, and that's going to continue to be the thing you eyeball the most with Sam Pittman. A couple things. Coaching roster retention. With guys yes. like Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom, his two coordinators, and then how much they're able to build on this momentum from a recruiting perspective. So when you think about Missouri in bowl action, you're thinking more along the lines, I guess, of, say, Dallas and the first responder, yes. uh, Birmingham possibly. Um, and then from the Arkansas perspective, it, it's looking very much like one of those top two Florida bowls with the Citrus or Outback. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, uh, Missouri just glad to be able to go uh, after the kind of season they've had, particularly uh, defensively. I thought in a touch of irony here uh, that uh, it was announced on Monday, Daniel Parker Jr., the Missouri tight end, who caught the two-point conversion against Florida to win the game is actually transferring. So uh, maybe that puts a... a, a <laughs> A difficult bowl also on the Florida season at this point. But I tell you what, I, Trev, I hope Tyler Beatty, as you mentioned before, gets the accolades that he deserves uh, in a in a year to where, frankly, uh, except for Connor Basilak, did not have a whole lot of help. No, no. Uh, Beatty was just absolutely amazing from start to finish and is deserving of first-team All-American honors. Uh, the Doak Walker uh, as the nation's top running back uh, in play, I believe, for Tyler Beatty as well. And again, deserving of each and every one of those uh, accolades and recognition that, that could possibly come his way. Now, the Georgia Bulldogs eased their way 
into that SEC championship game matchup with Alabama coming up this Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia going ahead and making a trip over to Atlanta to take care of the rival Yellow Jackets of Georgia Tech. I think uh, Kirby would like two Saturdays in a row. He'd like a second Saturday like this last Saturday <laughs> that he had there in Atlanta. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, yeah, just about as easy as it could be uh, in, in a lot of ways. Just really dominated Tech from the beginning and that. And that's what Kirby said. Uh, what, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to start well and just be able to go uh, with that. I thought it was interesting. Uh, the middle of the offensive line had had a little bit of struggles. I mean, we're we're almost straining at Nant here to find something uh, at this point. Uh, and uh, how about uh, Mr. Pickens being back at, at wide receiver? Uh, Trev uh, Brock Bowers again, had a play to where, uh, as a tight end now, basically outran the entire Georgia Tech secondary. The, uh, the the talent with the young kids at Georgia, I know so much is made about the veterans, but, man, the, the, these underclassmen this year have got them where they have, too. Yeah, Lad McConkey catches a touchdown pass for Georgia as one of those young players you're talking about. And Bowers is sort of a unicorn, even by today's really standard is. of tight ends, where, look, there's a lot of tight ends out there these days that are very athletic, that are, well, look at Kyle Pitts, just the last few years at Florida, for example. But when you see teams, you see offenses get quick touches for tight ends like they would wide receivers. Yes. And as you said, the tight end outruns the entire defense 77 yards into the end zone. You know, that's the type of plays that don't hurt the yards per attempt average of Stetson Bennett, who <laughs> averaged 12.8. It's, again, rubber stamp season for some of these guys around the league when you start talking about stat lines. 12.8 yards per attempt for Stetson Bennett, four touchdown passes for the quarterback at Georgia. And you're right, it was sort of a collective effort once again in the ground game. Uh, Kenny McIntosh with a big run, 59 yards. Um, you know, you had four or five backs contribute. It was a game in which Georgia, Georgia benefited from this game too, and that it wasn't stressed in the second half, yeah, unlike right. the team it'll play yes. next week. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, but again, credit Kirby Smart, an undefeated season. Uh, I mean, we thought this team would be really good this year, uh, based on what they've got in that front seven. Um, uh, and, and again, uh, after the season, it'll be interesting to compare what we've seen from this Georgia defense of Alabama, of like the Alabama 92 defense and some, some of these defense that, uh, that we've seen in yesteryear at this point, but certainly congratulations to the dogs. Uh, I mean, look, they are, uh, they're about as healthy and running on all cylinders right now as they could be going into the championship game. Another once proud rivalry that has assumed JV status took place down in Gainesville early in oh. that in that window on Saturday. You had a little pregame fisticuffs there on the <laughs> playing surface at Steve Spurrier Field. Kind of felt like a pillow fight between these two teams, <laughs> yes. given the yes. status of these two programs these days. But the Florida Gators get bowl eligible with a 24 to 21 win over the Seminoles, a game in which well, Florida seemed to be in pretty good shape, but you had some turnovers. You had some 
quarterback play for Florida that continued to be a little bit inconsistent. You had an Anthony Richardson sighting. Florida fans that wanted to see more of Damian Pierce, maybe in terms of touches in the offense, got some of that. But ultimately, the Gators get it done, Brent, 24 to 21. Florida State tries to make a run there late, but it is the Gators that reach bowl eligibility instead of the Seminoles. Uh, I thought in one stance summed up both these teams. This game had 22 penalties for nearly 200 yards, Trav. Yeah, that's uh, that's saying something. And, you know, you went into this game thinking that it would probably be one or both of the Florida quarterbacks that would be most impactful. Yeah. In the, in the run game, and it ended up being the Florida State quarterback who rushed for 102 yards on 17 carries. So a little bit of a different path there for the Seminoles. But Florida, of course, we understand in the aftermath, has hired Billy Napier, Brent, previously of the University of Louisiana. Billy obviously understands the footprint, having worked within the league at Alabama under Nick Saban. Regionally, he has experience in the Southeast, having worked at Clemson, Louisiana. What do you think? What are you hearing uh, in Northeast Florida in terms of a reaction to the hire of Billy Napier by the Florida Gators? I think it's a solid hire that could be uh, one that would be a really good hire as it goes on down the road. I think I think Napier is a program builder uh, and that uh, he could be there for uh, multiple years compared to four coaches uh, in eight years for Florida. That it, that has to stop at some point. They've got to understand uh, that mentality. Uh, I mean, when when Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are your mentors, uh, I, I think that sums up what Napier has done, modeled this program in many ways after uh, Nick Saban from nutrition to off the season, just going down the line for what he has done actually is has shown some some real humility which florida fans haven't seen in a while have they trav uh admitting that the firing that he endured at clemson uh dealt with a lot of the arrogance that he had at that time now, he was a 29 year old offensive coordinator at clemson the youngest in the nation uh at that point sustained success uh at louisiana but I think the thing that that Florida fans want to hear more than anything else, this guy in many ways is an elite recruiter. Uh, he has been among the um, the assistant coaches uh, up for the yearly um, uh, recruiting awards, well-deserved, and some of the guys that he has brought in. So I, I would say, and I'm curious if you have two, the Gator fans that I've talked to, they don't know that much about him because he's coming from Louisiana. But at the same time, I think they, they like what they hear. You, you and I followed Napier for years. And I think understand some of the potential that he's got. So I, I travel right now. I think it's a pretty solid hire. I think it is on the surface. Um, you know, here's the thing with Billy Napier. He's not going to blow you away at his introductory no. press conference. No, no. He's not Mr. Two Bits, okay, for the Florida fans out there. He's not going to lead you in that cheer when he's introduced in Gainesville, but he's not going to clown your program <laughs> yeah, absolutely. your university like his predecessor did on too many occasions. And I do think the program builder 
designation is accurate, but in speaking with a Florida alum here in the last day or so, I think he posed a great question. Are 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 program builders in this era of college football is that sustainable? Uh, because true. you said it earlier. Look at all the turnover we've seen in Gainesville at the head coach position. So if you're going to get up there at the press conference and you're Scott Strickland, the Florida athletic director, Brent, and you're going to use, you're going to utter words like program builder, then to me, you're committing to four or five years. Yeah, absolutely. Not two or three. If it doesn't start out great, you're saying this guy, we're bringing him in because the program essentially needs to be built from the ground up. And that starts with recruiting a shortcoming, obviously of Dan Mullen. So I think you gotta, you gotta be all in on that. If you're going to use that as a, as a sort of, uh, you know, a positive with Billy Napier and and where that program's headed. Uh, I I think what we will not see is going to be uh, a situation that, that we did in the FSU game that pretty well summed up who they were this year. Uh, what was the fact of Emory Jones throwing three interceptions uh, and still continuing to play uh, with uh, why Anthony Richardson probably could have played more. I understand there were some injuries there, but Trev, the, the, the Damian Pierce situation has just befuddled me the whole year where you've got a, a, a really solid running back that really uh, never got double digit carries, uh, but as good as Mullen probably thinks he is, the, those were things that kind of summed up the year, and, and I think you hit it. Uh, you're not going to rebuild this roster in this lack of recruiting overnight, are you? You absolutely aren't. So, again, if you're going to get up there, and this is a big hire for Scott Strickland. It this is. This may be the defining hire of his tenure as the athletics director at Florida. Uh, you got to commit to it. You got to be all in with that, with Billy Napier. And I need to see his staff. I mean, that is, that is Absolutely. what this hire is. Sure it's is. one of those, unlike Lincoln Riley to SC, where you are able to sort of make some immediate uh, definitive statements in regard to some thoughts on that. Uh, with Napier and a hire like this, similar to Jim McElwain or some other guys, I, I need to see a staff uh, before I can, can have a sense of, uh, how I even feel about where this thing is headed uh, with Billy Napier. Uh, we do think on the heels of last Saturday's Iron Bowl thriller, the fourth quarter in overtime anyway, of Alabama 24, Auburn 22, we do think both those coaches in that game will return for another season. <laughs> Nick Saban trying to exercise some demons mm-hmm. of the past where Alabama, and even during his time at LSU, trips to – Jordan-Hare Stadium are concerned. Auburn for, what, 40, 58 minutes? Looked like it was in great shape to win that football game in sort of Pat Dye fashion, 10-3 yes. to three there. That was a Pat Dye special <laughs> for the Tigers until Bryce Young takes the Crimson Tide. 97 yards in a minute and 11 seconds. Touchdown pass to true freshman Joe Corey Brooks sends the game to overtime. And then we had a back-and-forth affair for four overtime periods. We got into the two-point conversion uh, aspect of the proceedings. I don't think either one of us particularly prefer that 
no. uh, especially when you're trying to decide a game, a rivalry of this magnitude. But it still ends with John Mechie making the deciding catch and Alabama escaping Brent with a two-point win. Uh, and and I know you pointed this out too in your writings. I thought Kool-Aid McKinstry's play in the end zone uh, was key for the Alabama secondary. And Trav, I give him a lot of credit. There are probably some veterans in that Alabama secondary who could not have made that play. Um, but I thought it 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 made a lot of difference there. Uh, and again, for for Bama and and you go back to several games, LSU for one. Uh, in the Arkansas game, happened in the uh, Auburn game, a missed field goal for Alabama. If they get that field goal, they probably win the game uh, in uh, regulation. But again, I certainly agree with you. Give Auburn a lot of credit. I mean, they they were prepared. They were ready to play. They played hard. They gave the, the Auburn front seven on defense, gave Alabama, as you said it would, uh, before the game, all it could muster just to be able to block them. Uh, Alabama will have the same difficulty with Georgia that we'll get into as the uh, the, the week goes along. But it was very much a a, a character test for the uh, uh, the, the Tide, uh, not being able to play obviously without uh, Williams, their best receiver, uh, out with, with targeting. Just a just an incredibly classic game. I, I, I can't imagine, Trav, what the ratings on that game are going to be when that comes out later this week. Yeah, and that's why when people were talking a couple weeks ago about big stages for Heisman candidates, and there was sort of this discounting of the Iron Bowl because Auburn was a 6-5 and five team coming in. People still watch the hell out of the Absolutely. iron Bowl. It, it no truly is. I know it's cliche and I, I understand I get tired of hearing it too, but that is just one of those games that is appointment viewing, especially when the game is in Auburn because people love watching Alabama regardless, but they also love watching Alabama. A lot of people when they are either stressed to the limit yeah. and or lose and they've had their struggles as we know very much so down at Jordan Hare stadium. And, so it'll be interesting to see what Bryce Young can do to build on his candidacy with such a huge, huge stage coming up against the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, you know, the good news and the bad news sort of came together with Jamison Williams going out there in that first half. It was absolutely monumental in terms of how the rest of that game played out. Give John Mechie a lot of credit. He stepped it up. Ja'Cory Brooks stepped it up. Bryce Young helped carry that team late. Uh, but the good news for Alabama is that it happened in the first half because yeah. if he goes out in the second half, say the third quarter of that game, he's out for the first half he against sure Georgia is. this week. And it's That's already right. going to be a big enough hill for Alabama to climb, let alone to try to do it without Jamison Williams for a half of that game. Another rivalry matchup. This one between the Tennessee Volunteers and the Vanderbilt Commodores. You talk about TV ratings. I don't think the numbers are going to be all that big <laughs> oh, no. for this one. The Vols get out to a 24-7 halftime lead. Pretty much cruise from there. And we talk about teams exceeding expectations. Josh Heupel, year one with the Vols, seven wins. Got to qualify in that regard, doesn't he? Uh, incredible, uh, to say the least. And again, uh, Heupel's name, and we understand why, uh, being 
uh, rumored a little bit for the Oklahoma job. I, I, I don't think, he, unlike Lane Kiffin, that he leaves that quickly, frankly. Uh, but look, and, and there, Trev, there are some, some big decisions for ball players. Uh, Hinton Hooker, the quarterback, who, who really turned the season around. Uh, he's got a decision to make, but, but what he has done has been unbelievable. Aaron Beasley, a starting linebacker, uh, has uh, it played well. Matthew Butler turned into a playmaker for them. Jabari Small uh, also did the same thing. Uh, Cedric Tillman, who both of us really like, he will go over 1,000 yards in the bowl game when in three seasons he had less than 150. And a lot of people may have missed this. Tyone Evans, the leading rusher this season, at least up until late when he had some ankle injuries and small kind of uh, took the reins here, uh, announced over the weekend, Trav, he's transferring. So, look, if that kid is healthy, someone will uh, certainly benefit from his services in the next few months. Yeah, I think he's going to be like the two backs that transferred out after last season. You had guys, Eric Gray end up at yes. Oklahoma, right? And Tyson Chandler at North Carolina. At North Carolina. That's the sort of destinations I can envision for Tyon Evans. Power five, and not just power five, but upper echelon, perhaps college football playoff contender yes. type of programs and interests that he'll attract on that transfer market. When you think about Tennessee now and the potential bowl destinations well there are some that just make i guess maybe even too much sense like nashville and in memphis for the balls yeah. right uh well unless that they are determined uh and look i get this uh, i mean if the league ends uh, and i know i know the league's got a pecking order here but uh there may be some real um attraction for uh tennessee being even in a florida bowl i'm not saying that's going to happen you're right uh, the, the, the logical choices will be the ones uh, that, that you mentioned, but a winning season fan base is going to buy tickets, uh, like they did to the, uh, tax layer bowl when they beat Indiana not too long ago in that offense, that goes up and down the field and that has scored more points than they've scored in basically decades. Uh, they are a pretty attractive bowl team, aren't they? I think right now, uh, you got this sort of. Uh, you got this log jam, right? Of seven and yeah. five, six yeah. and six. But if you're up next in that pecking order after Arkansas or, you know, teams like that at eight and four or better, uh, you're thinking which of these teams' fan bases are feeling the best about themselves, uh, feeling good about where their program is at. Uh, and I would say for me right now, Seven and five Tennessee would be even more attractive than eight and four Texas A and M, especially after the Aggies oh. come off a twenty-seven to twenty-four loss to the LSU Tigers Saturday night. Brent, Coach O Swan Song, and he tells us after the game, "That's it. It's a wrap. He's not <laughs> going to coach in the bowl game for the Tigers, uh, but he can still beat Jimbo. Uh, yep. A pretty nice way to go out for Ed Orgeron." Well, and there's two things here. One uh, is uh, the AM beat writers all over Jimbo right now. 
uh, Devon A-Chain just tearing up the LSU defense uh, in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, he barely gets a carry. Uh, Same issues uh, going on at the uh, quarterback situation with Zach Calzada. Look, I understand that they're limited in what they can do until Haynes King gets back uh, at this point, but uh, you had a situation there, and this was very typical of A&M in November to where there are moments that they look like a playoff team, and then there are other moments during this time uh, that they really struggle. Uh, and look, we've said this all year long, LSU defensively and that front seven is a real deal. I mean, A&M averaged 1.9 yards rush, uh, 54 yards for the game. I mean, that's just stunning to me to hear that. So it, you had you had such polar opposites here. The disappointment in November for uh, Jimbo, uh, particularly with these LSU rumors still out there. And then you've got old Trav talking that, hey, uh, uh, I'm not coaching the bowl game because – Tomorrow I'm going to Destin. So exactly. Uh, so hopefully, old found somebody to rub a suntan lotion on him this week, right? Yeah, I don't know if I like that visual, but <laughs> O is certainly by this time midday on this Monday, he is shirtless, running uh, 30A. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, he doesn't have a shirt on. He's getting his jog in there, his midday jog uh, for Coach O. Off into the sunset he goes for the time being, anyway. Yeah, you know, if LSU is going to hold A-Chain and Spiller to a combined 76 rushing yards, which is what happened Saturday night, you had to feel good about the Tigers' chances. And what about my guy, Max Johnson, for LSU? He's sort of been written off in this forgettable season as if he's been totally ineffective or something, despite the fact that he hasn't had Kayshawn Boudé for a while now at the wide receiver position, but Jaree Jenkins goes off for 169 receiving yards on eight catches. And it's Johnson late, man, with the heroics. So I don't know where this is really headed uh, in terms of the next coach at LSU. That's a story in and of itself at this point. But I don't get in line with this sort of assertion that, well, Max Johnson might be a guy who needs to look to move on. I think, I think Max Johnson is a guy you can help sell this job Absolutely. to the next coach too. I, I know there's some buzz about Garrett Nussmeyer. I get that, but man, I think Max Johnson can win a lot of places. Uh, look, uh, he could, he could be the face of your program offensively uh, at this point too. By the way, uh, now in that LSU A&M series, uh, LSU, <coughs> LSU beat writers and fans only too glad to say right now, Trav, they're eight and two in that series with the Aggies right now, including victories in two of the past three seasons. Yeah, not much problem with Jimbo, you know, for Edo on his way out the dough at LSU. <laughs> you know, we went into Saturday night's matchup in the Palmetto State of Clemson and South Carolina thinking, oh, this is a South Carolina team at least with a chance this time around against the rival Clemson Tigers. We weren't ready to pick. South Carolina to win that game. But I think as much as South Carolina had been playing better of late, unfortunately for the Gamecocks, the same was true of Clemson. And even though it wasn't a prolific night by any means for the Clemson 
Um, passing game, Will Shipley and the rest of that Clemson rushing attack really got the job done. Meanwhile, the Clemson defense just shut down a South Carolina run game that had a pretty good bit of success against Auburn the previous week. I think some of the problem here was the euphoria they had uh, in, in the wins over Florida and Auburn uh, caught up with them by the time this game came around. <clears throat> Clemson's defense still uh, playing very well. 12 total yards on offense for South Carolina in the first quarter. Uh, no doubt that it was disappointing, but again, I think you've got to put this season into some perspective, uh, a bowl game, uh, won some important games at home, brought some excitement back. Uh, Shane Beamer's like a lot of guys, Trav. He just, and I know that he is, he just needs to get the recruiting trail, get some better players so that they don't have a repeat next year like this against Clemson. And so when we look at South Carolina at six and six, and we need to sort of catch up on some bowl projections here for some teams that we talked about, there is talk of Texas A&M in Jacksonville, where they have been in previous years, to take on maybe Clemson. How about Texas A&M Clemson in the Gator Bowl? That's wow. that's a game that in the preseason some people would have told you is a huh. college football playoff yeah. semifinal. I think the Gator would be okay with that in terms of brand recognition. Uh, LSU, we just talked about with that win over Texas A&M. Maybe it's Memphis uh, for LSU. And now South Carolina at 6-6. Six and six. As far as proximity goes, right, the Dukes-Mayo sure. Bowl right yes. there in Charlotte would seem to make Absolutely. the most sense. Uh, well, and look, I think for a lot of these fan bases, uh, the uh, one, you're in a bowl. Two, you can drive to it. Uh, so I think what you laid out is pretty logical. It makes a lot of sense, uh, along that line too. I, I'm just kind of, I, I am kind of curious, Trav, with the Gator Bowl, would they try to do kind of an end round, uh, in, in trying to get Florida here, uh, maybe as a possibility that that'll be interesting to see where, where that's going to go. But, but look, uh, for uh, Trav, for a team like South Carolina, and, and I know people kind of snicker at this a little bit, but for that club and those young players to actually have 15 more practices together, uh, I think that could be beneficial to them. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think for some of these teams, that's where the real value is. Tennessee comes to mind when, when you think about the value there. Uh, Missouri. Um, Arkansas continuing to grow. Uh, I think even though for teams like Ole Miss, yes. when you're going to lose the players, they're going to lose. Um, you know, you can find some things out about maybe the successor to Matt Corral, or have you already seen enough that you're thinking you're going to go transfer portal if you're Ole Miss at the quarterback position. So, you know, recruiting gets an, a boost in this, not only in terms of, the exposure of your program during the bowl season. Um, but in terms of your evaluations and where you may need to go, if you don't get it covered in the early period, you don't get it covered on December the 15th. Some of these bowl practices can reaffirm or confirm some things that, okay, late period, we got to go hit this either via the high school route or maybe the portal. So, so many different factors that come into play now where personnel is concerned and, how bowl practices in that period 
can sort of allow for some of that. Kentucky goes on the road and thumps Louisville in our final game of week 13. We're going to talk about on this edition of second helping. And with that, Brent, the SEC goes three and one against the ACC for the weekend, a nine win season in the bank for Mark Stoops. Oklahoma comes open now. <laughs> We've heard Stoops mentioned with maybe LSU. That's right. What about Oklahoma with the obvious ties there to his brother, Bob? Um, it's a problem you want to have though. If you're Kentucky, if, if, if other places are interested in your coach, it's probably because Kentucky football is doing something it hasn't done with regularity throughout the years. I, I think what Mark also proved this year was in the era of offensive football, he showed Trav that he could bring in Will Levis uh, and that he could bring in, uh, obviously, when we talked about Chris Rodriguez and Wondell Robinson and basically have the best offense that they have had uh, in quite some time. Five games this year with more than 500 yards total offense for Kentucky. That's something that you don't see uh, a lot. Now, now again, unfortunately for them, uh, 127-130 and turnover margin. And by the way, uh, I, I think this is extremely important for Stoops uh, 58 wins trial for Mark Stoops during his time at Kentucky. Two wins shy of Paul Bear Bryant's school record of 60. So, uh, listen, you you and I have, have talked about this and, and almost joked about it a little bit, but, but I can tell you right now, I think it may be a reality. Uh, do they put up some kind of uh, travel? Do they one day put up a, a, a some kind of a statue or name something for Stoops for what he's done at Kentucky? Yeah, it could be. I think he's got to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, to sort of reach that level of gratitude from the university and the fan base. But you said it earlier about the need to take better care of the football, and that's something Kentucky did in this game. Saturday night, Will Levis, 14 of 18, didn't throw a touchdown pass, but no interceptions. Meanwhile, Levis runs for 113 and four touchdowns. My guy, Christian Rodriguez, with another one of those aforementioned rubber stamp lines, 16 for 121 and a touchdown, six rushing touchdowns for Kentucky, excuse me, seven rushing touchdowns for Kentucky in that win over Louisville and the Kentucky defense did a nice job against Malik Cunningham, the quarterback for Louisville, who can be a real playmaker. Cunningham throws for 145. No touchdowns, though. He's picked off once. And then on the ground, did a good job with him. Just 35 rushing yards on 11 carries. He did have a score. So when we talk about Kentucky and potential bowl matchups here, Brent, way up the pecking order. And one of those Florida Bowls, right? Either. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. Orlando or Tampa, I got to think Orlando looks good for Kentucky in those nine wins right now. Uh, well, and what Orlando is also would be looking at uh, at this point, uh, I know they're playing hoops right now in Lexington, but I think some most Kentucky fans would be glad uh, to be able to make that drive too. So, and, and listen, let me throw this in here. Uh, also, uh, a very good point about Mark Stoops maybe being a backup candidate for LSU and wherever that might go. But Trav, I also wonder 
Now, uh, what about Lane Kiffin with some of these yeah. jobs uh, and where that might go? Now, I've, I've also been told by a, a friend who works uh, with Ole Miss that he may be offered some big-time money in order to stay, and also Levy, too, may be offered uh, like two mil for a coordinator position. But uh, look, to your point, both those guys – may have a whole heck of a lot to do with these next few days uh, and where this coaching carousel goes. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it's been kind of quiet with Lane, which makes yes. you wonder a little bit. There was the rumblings about Miami here in the last couple of weeks. That has sort of subsided. But, yeah, these next few days, we could pretty much do a podcast, I think, <laughs> twice a day for yeah, the next week. absolutely. And probably still not be able to keep up with not just, again, the spin of the coaching carousel, but this exodus that we're going to see to the transfer portal impacting pretty much every team in the SEC. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I got to think every team in the league is going to have at least one entrant into the transfer portal, if not multiple entrants into the portal, Brent. Uh, well, uh, absolutely. And look, at the upcoming week with championship games, with people with bated breath on uh, who with Cincinnati get in or not, uh, with their championship game, that, that will be going on. Uh, and again, uh, for uh, just a reminder for folks, uh, a uh, next Monday at 5 o'clock, deadline for Heisman Trophy votes. Ballots went out uh, on Monday, so uh, that that's going to be exciting. And, and you know, in, the, in these coaching situations, uh, guys like Hugh Freeze, Dave Clawson, and others who we thought might be on the move have uh, been able to get extension and, and raises, which is, uh, Trav, which has also kind of made it uh, a little bit of an unusual year, too, may may have cut down on some of the movement that we thought we would see. But yet at the same time, uh, is it also leaving some of these athletic directors maybe scrambling a little bit and looking deep inside their their desk drawer on getting some more possible names? Well, what we're seeing is we're, the evolution, the advancement from buyouts in coaching yes. deals yes. to entire deals being guaranteed like Mel Tucker at Michigan state, like Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. We're not talking about parting gifts of 15, 20 million in buyout money. Like we right. saw with Ed Orgeron or, you know, somewhere around 12 for Dan Mullen. Right. We're talking about entire deals in length of seven to 10 years being fully guaranteed to the extent of nearly $100 million. So that's another realm of coaching contracts that we seem to be approaching here. And we're going to have so much to talk about throughout the week. The big matchup, Alabama and Georgia in Atlanta on Saturday. We'll do more of that on the next episode. The possibility, some scenarios that would allow for multiple SEC teams in the four-team college football playoff. Some of the things that might need to happen, Brent, when you talk about Cincinnati and its conference championship game, perhaps Michigan in the Big Ten game, certainly Oklahoma State, Baylor could impact things greatly in the Big 12. So it's not just the SEC game that we'll have in mind later in this week, right? It'll be a lot of different uh, games around 
the, the, the conference championship slate. Well, this is why we love college football. That's so absolutely unpredictable. Uh, but we will look forward to me back in a few days, uh, to pre- preview some of these championship games, especially the uh, sec championship game. Uh, our eyes always on the coaching carousel transfer portal. Uh, and again, the, the amazing thing is, uh, uh, Trev, it'd be, you know, I love to have the money, but the truth of the matter is the pressure on coaches now and something we haven't even talked about that much. And, and, and I'll just leave it with this is national signing day, basically Trev, what a little over two weeks away. It's not like you've got what two or three months now, if you're coming in, uh, that's and, why you're seeing all this movement now. In no large question. Part. It's no absolutely question. related to the early signing period, both from a coaching perspective. And when you look at guys hitting the portal, uh, because everyone's trying to secure a spot one way or the other. Uh, well, we will, we have enjoyed today, Trev, and we will look forward to, uh, uh, all who knows what's going to go on next time we talk. Absolutely. So for Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us once again here on second helping. If you haven't already, How about a subscription to the podcast? Simple as a click or two, absolutely free to you. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us. Second helping for Brent Beard, executive producer Bill Oakley, Travis Ryer, thanking you again. And we'll preview Alabama, Georgia, and a whole lot more coming up in a couple of days when second helping returns. So long, everybody.